Well, it is so good that y'all are here this morning. You could be anywhere, um, but you are here. Um, this is the last Sunday before Christmas Eve. Can you believe that? We're getting close. How many of y'all have already got all of your shopping done? Okay. Whoa, whoa. So y'all are going shopping after church, okay? How many of you are, are like uh, done, done? Like, is anybody done? Okay, okay. How many has not yet started? Oh, man, okay. It, why is it like men? You know, is it men? Like, I, saw, I saw a couple girls, so um, the stereotype might break down a little bit. That's okay. Um, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we'll mostly be in Luke, but we'll also kind of bounce around to a couple different places. But if you land in Luke, um, you'll be in a good place uh, to track along here in a bit. Uh, we're in our series, uh, The Weary World Rejoices. Uh, and last week, we talked about how uh, deeply loved people of God are called to be people who love other people well, right? And we, we said, loved people, love people, all right. Loved people, love people. That's what we're supposed to do. And it was great. We had a good time. We were laughing. We had fun with that. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was really fun in here, actually. Um, and uh, not that it's not always. It's always fun in here, right? Um, but we had uh, fun with the whole thing. And we introduced this thing called the hug life. Um, and uh, I just love that somebody was up here talking about the hug life and talked about it like it was totally normal, like it wasn't something new. Um, but uh, we introduced that, and again, we had fun with that. And so if you weren't here last week, um, go ahead and grab your shirt on the way out. But if you weren't here, when you grab your shirt, um, why don't you go back and watch the service so you know what on earth we're talking about when we're talking about the hug life, okay? Uh, but make sure you do both of those things. Um, but we had fun. So... With all of that laughter and jovialness and stuff that we did last week, um, we can't help but overlook the fact that uh, we still have people that don't feel loved, right? We can, we can talk about love people loving people. We can talk about the hug life, uh, lo like love people are called to be people who love other people. We can talk about that stuff, but we can't just jump over the fact that there really are people who don't feel loved. Um, we still have people who are hurting, we have people who are struggling. We have people who, for whatever reason or whatever circumstance they're in in their life, they feel stuck. Um, we have people who um, are waiting and waiting, and they're waiting for hope to show up, but still feel like that's not happened. And they're waiting for God to do something. Y'all don't, you don't know what you're waiting for. You just know, like, man, I just wish something would change. I wish God would show up in some way. I, I just don't know what it is, but I just feel like nothing's ever different in what I'm doing. And so we're waiting and waiting and waiting, and nothing's changed. And so you might find it hard um, and difficult when we sing songs of rejoicing or um, when we talk about the joy of Christmas and uh, we read in the scriptures, rejoice, 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 uh, several times throughout the New Testament. Um, you might find it hard um, and you feel like maybe joy has, has left the tank. Um, that if your life was a bucket and if joy was the picture, um, that so, somewhere in your life, that maybe you were full of joy at one point, but as the years go by and things go on, it's like if you were, you would just see like this, maybe my, my bucket's got a crack um, and joy has been leaking out uh, over, over the years. Uh, so because of that, what I want to do is I want to talk this morning about finding joy in the least expected places. And we're, we're going to frame it from, from maybe the, the way of finding joy in, in Bethlehem because we're in the Christmas season and we know what happens in Bethlehem, but I want us to kind of do a little more of a deeper dive uh, into Bethlehem in that way. And I would say that 
um, we want to be people who are full of joy, right? Like, we, we want to be people who are always expecting for God to show up and for God to do amazing things. Like, that's what we want our mind to do. Nobody wants to be a grumpy person, especially around Christmas, like when it's supposed to be the most joyful time of the year. Um, like, Scrooge and um, the Grinch, those are not people who get celebrated around the Christmas season, right? Like, like nobody wants to be a Scrooge or a Grinch. So, like, if, if you've never heard this before... Let me be the first one. Like, if somebody is calling you a Grinch or calling you a Scrooge, that's not a good thing. Like, even though they're around Christmas time, like, that, like that's, that's not good. You're like, well, at least they're on TV. No, that's not what we're going for, all right? We don't wake up wanting to feel Grinchy or Scroogey. That's just not what happens. Um, we don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what? Today is a great day for me to just kind of be a bum to people. We don't wake up saying, you know, well, today is a great day. I'm just going to rain on everybody else's parade. Like, you know what? Like, I, I feel kind of crummy, and so I'm just going to throw that on somebody else. Like, we don't, nobody, wait, most people don't wake up thinking like that. Um, what ends up happening is I, I think this kind of stuff happens over the course of a difficult life. Um, we step into some trauma or some things happen in our life or there's just always drama around our life, and we don't invite it in intentionally, but somehow it's there, and sometimes we ask for it, and maybe we didn't ask for it, but it just kind of shows up, and whatever, forever, it's on our plate, and, we, and we've got to deal with it. They're, like, we deal with hurt things. Um, there's persistent pain um, you might have in your life or chronic pain that won't go away, um, whether it be physical, like actually physical limiting pain, or whether it be emotional pain um, that, that's kind of happened in your life. Now, let me give kind of a caveat, though, because we're in Christmas time, and a lot of people have people traveling from out of town to come stay with you, and like you're getting uh, space ready in your house, like guest room, or kicking kids out of one room, and so there's space for them, and so you're prepping for this. Let me just kind of preface this. Um, just, like, in-laws don't fit into this, okay? So, like, if you're prepping for in-laws to come, even though it feels like they're a chronic issue, um, and they just won't go away, um, that you don't get, maybe you do right? Because sometimes isn't that the source of a lot of drama and you got to work through those things? Um, I love my in-laws, so if my in-laws are watching, that wasn't for you. Um, but like we, we deal with stuff. There, there are things that we walk through, and so sometimes you feel like joy is just kind of is gone be, because you're just sitting and you're waiting in pain and maybe even disbelief that, that nothing's changed. Your situation is still the same. And you thought by now that in this season of life or because you've been dealing with this thing for this long, you've been waiting for it to go away for this long, and, and that you thought that by now something good would have happened in your life, that things would have changed by now, um, or things might be at least marginally different. If you could look at your life from, from where, where this thing started to, to where you are now, like that line in between, that, that something would look different. But for whatever reason, in the thinking that you have, like it just doesn't. It just, it just looks the same. Nothing has changed. And so you don't wake up wanting to be grumpy. You don't wake up wanting to be sad. You don't wake up not wanting to feel like there's hope in this world or in your life, but, but life's taken you down that road. Life's taken its toll. Uh, and so um, you just kind of wake up in the morning and the day starts for you with, without joy. And you hope that somewhere along the line that you're going to find it 
somewhere in that day, maybe in that week, that something's going to change. And we do find some joy sometimes, or at least we think we find some joy, because we find things that make us happy for a a few minutes. It takes our mind off of our circumstance or off our situation for, for a little while. But it's deep down inside, you know that that's not true joy. Down inside, we, we know that because we have to keep doing it. We keep going back to the bar. We keep going back to the bottle. We keep going back to the toxic relationship. We keep running out of things that we should uh, be staying in. We go back to the situation. Um, we go back to the pills or we go back to that feeling. We look for that dopamine hit over and over and over again. And we think that we're buying some happiness or that we're buying some joy, but it's something that seems to be fleeting. Because true joy lasts longer than just a few minutes. True joy lasts longer than just a hit. True joy lasts longer than uh, our circumstance. When our circumstances go up and down throughout our life, and joy is kind of the steady thing that, that rides through. It's, it doesn't go up. It's, it's, joy is kind of a settled heart. It's more settled than this roller coaster ride that our emotions go on from time to time. Do, do y'all remember uh, the great preacher um, and evangelist? Uh, I, I'm guessing you do. Billy Graham? Y'all heard of him before? Uh, yeah, like Billy Graham is, is, was, was amazing, right? Amazing. I want you to hear what he had to say uh, about joy, and I wish I could say it in his southern kind of or eastern accent because it's just amazing, um, but he would say something like, joy cannot be pursued, you know, but I'm not going to do it because I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, <clears throat> he says, joy cannot be pursued. It comes from within. It is a state of being. It doesn't depend on circumstances, but triumphs over circumstances. It produces a gentleness of spirit and a magnetic uh, personality. And, of course, we read that and we think, well, what about, like, are we producing? No, we don't produce that. That's the Holy Spirit of God. That's Jesus inside of us producing that. He, he does that love. He does that work. He does that magnetism that he talks about. He's the one who triumphs over circumstances. He's doing that, that work in us. But, but, I, but I think this is true. You might say, well, then what do I do about the way that I'm feeling right now? I mean, because you get it, right? Like, um, you can understand where I'm coming from. Like, if you were to go through the thing that I went through, or you to have done the thing that I did, or if you were where I was at, and the, all these, all these, like, if you would have, that you'd feel the same way too. Like, you would, like you would, wouldn't you? And, and you might be saying, well, yeah, sure, um, maybe we'd feel like that, but The same man who just said the same thing about joy, here's what he said about this kind of stuff. He said, the Christian life is not a constant high. I've had my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God with tears in my eyes and say, oh, God, forgive me or help me. So there's joy in the Christian life, but is there also discouragement? Of course there is. There are times when we feel down. There are times when we, like, we're broken and we need, some, like, we need God to step in in different ways. Sure, like, there, there's things that we go through. I'll tell you from my position right now, like I've been waiting on God to heal my back for a real long time. Since 2010, I've been in the most intense pain. Like It started before then, but until was, like, it's just been bad. And I've had these moments of good and bad and good and bad and real bad and sometimes better. And, 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 and I've tried everything. I've tried to do what I can do on my side. I've tried to you know, relinquish care to the doctors, let the doctors do what they can do on their side. And I'm still struggling, guys. So, so over time, what ends up happening is my emotions get into that, and I just get grumpy. Like, anybody been there? Like, you just, like it just happens, and, like, you're just grumpy, and there you are, and um, I get short with uh, other people. I get short with my, my kids. 
Um, I'm not fun to be around sometimes. Um, and I appreciate the open therapy that we're having right now. This is good uh, for me. Um, but like, I, I feel like in my life, if you go on a happy scale or, you know, a Thanksgiving kind of scale or just a fun scale, I feel like I used to be way more fun than I am now. Um, and, and, and I tell my wife that all, all the time. And she's like, well, you are a little bit grumpy sometimes. Um, and she's like honest with me. And I said, I know, I know. And I look and I, I look, you know, we're, I think it's like been managing pain for so long um, or waiting. Like maybe I'm in the managing. I'm, if when it gets better, I'm waiting. Is it just going to get worse? When's it going to start again? Y- y'all been there? Like just waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm doing okay now, but then what's going to happen next? And that comes out in all kinds of different ways. And so in the waiting <clears throat> for me, the waiting for things to get better, I get weary. Um, I feel like sometimes joy begins to leak out. And again, if joy was my bucket and you were to look at my life and you were to see like, is his bucket full over the course of my life? It feels like, man, I just, I'm leaking. I'm leaking. You get to a point, you're like, I mean, are, are we out? Is joy just completely depleted? What's going on? <clears throat> and I would guess that I'm not the only one, um, that there's company in that where we just wonder, is, is, does, is joy working? Where, where does it come from? So what if, what if true lasting joy comes in the least expected places? Like maybe in the backdrop of that black pain or that thing that you're walking through or the things that you've been through where you feel like, gosh, this is just crushing me. Maybe that in that least expected place, that that might actually be where God wants to explode joy in your life, where you might actually feel the most in the pain that you would see that he is still good and he's still worth worshiping. Uh, maybe. maybe. Uh, a lot of us know this time, uh, I, this feels heavy, doesn't it? <laughs> We're gonna, it's going to lift, I, I think, at some point. But if not, maybe God wants to do something with that too. Um, a lot of people know this time of the year as Advent. Advent is uh, the Latin term. It just meant coming. Um, the whole idea was that there was a king who was coming, a king that was promised to come, um, that he was going to bring pre- peace and he was going to bring joy to the world. And Advent became this time of, of waiting, of, of celebrating the idea of waiting, waiting for this coming king that was coming. But what were people waiting for? What was Israel waiting for? Or who were they waiting for? They were waiting to see if God would ever show up, if he was going to be faithful to his promise. There was prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that there's going to be a king who's going to come. He's going to come and he's going to bring salvation. He's going to come and he's going to relieve something. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring joy. And you've got a whole group of people who are weary and waiting that are saying, when? <laughs> When's it coming? Uh, like we've been waiting a long time because Israel, they were oppressed by the Romans. They were supposed to have their king sitting on the throne, but they did not have their king sitting on the throne at the time. And it had been a real long time since they had. Honestly, they were tired and they were weary. Um, they were tired of being weary. Uh, and so they wanted peace and they wanted their joy to return. Um, they just didn't know when it was going to happen. And so for them, waiting just became really old. Weariness began to set in. And for them, it felt like joy just was leaking out of their bucket. It felt like joy was leaking out of, of Israel. And so um, they had been waiting for 400 years. Um, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to take it out, physical, physical copy of your Bible. Go, go ahead and pull it out. Turn to the space between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So 
Uh, if you're new to your Bible, you're going to have a little bit more on your left side than you do on the right. Um, so Old Testament, New Testament. In, in, in my Bible, this is, this is what the, that space looks like. A lot of blank space, <laughs> isn't there? The, the only wording on there is the New Testament. There's a blank space where things end, and there's another space where things are getting ready to begin. Now, in the Old Testament, Israel had a lot of prophecy. They had a lot of opportunity to hear from God. Sometimes they listened to God, sometimes they didn't listen to God. Sometimes they obeyed, sometimes they didn't. But yet God spoke to them over and over, and so they heard the voice of God. They saw the power of God. And then that ended. And 400 years go by before we get to turn this next page. 400 years like They've been used to hearing the prophetic voice of God, but you have 400 years where they hear nothing from him. And so they're wondering and they're waiting, are things going to change? Is the page ever going to turn? And so 400 years of waiting in this pain. And then we get to turn the page with, with Jesus. But I promise you, I promise you that nobody was expecting this day. Nobody was expecting it. We, we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus born and we have, um, we have Simeon. And we have, um, golly, I'm blanking on her name right now, Simeon and and Anne. So thank you so much. Uh, so they are waiting in the temple. They're excited about the Savior. They did not know when he was coming, but they were looking forward to the day that he did. Outside of that, we have no utterance of anybody who was just simply waiting. And so I promise you that on this night... Nobody was waiting for what happened in, in Beth, Bethlehem. If they had been expecting the Savior to show up on, on this night, the birth conditions would have been a, a whole heck of a lot different, wouldn't they? Like, there, it, there would have been press, <laughs> cameras would have been there, um, lights would have been there. Um, people would have wanted to see the Savior coming in. There, there, it wouldn't have been an undisclosed location um, that the Savior was going to be born in. He would have been born in this uh, nice, neat, sterile, clean, hospital-like place, right? That, that, that's, that's what would have happened. My, my wife is a nurse at Methodist Women's in Omaha, and, and I promise you that there is no hay for a crib hanging out in Methodist. Right? That is not the kind of environment that babies are born into. It's just not. Um, it would have been a neatly prepared place, a clean and sterile place. It would have been fantastic for the king and the savior to be born into. If they would have known, things would have been different. But 400 years go by, waiting and waiting, waiting for things to change, waiting for things to get better. And, and after a while of, of waiting, don't you just kind of like put it on the back burner for a little bit? Like, I know we've been, we've been doing this. Um, but you just kind of move on with life. It's not necessarily that you give up on the thing. It's just that that thing's not happening. And you're just like, well, if it's not good, so we'll just kind of get going with other things. We'll move on with life. This happens in Israel. 400 years of waiting, they just kind of go back to living. It wasn't necessarily that they had given up on God. Uh, they, they were just tired of waiting and nothing was changing. And so they go back to living normal life. Isaiah 9 tells us that this time, this period, um, was a time of darkness, People were walking in darkness. Israel was walking in darkness. The world was walking in darkness. And then, all of a sudden, they see a great light. Things begin to change in their world. And if you would have been picking up the scriptures at that time and reading a prophecy like that, I guarantee you that you wouldn't have been taking that literal. 
You're just like, a great light? Okay, the people are walking in darkness, they've seen a great light. You'd be like, oh, okay, that's cool. The people were struggling, and now hope has entered into the picture. I bet nobody was thinking very literal that a light was going to show up, and because of that light or the source of that light, that that was going to be what changed the world. It would have been like you have a, um, uh, a basketball team or a football team that are playing, and they're just kind of, I mean, they're losing. They're losing bad. Right, um, and uh, their best player gets hurt, and he's out on the sidelines. He's he's not coming back into the game, and like now the team just is just really bad, and they are getting crushed the entire game. And then all of a sudden, somebody says, "Oh, our hero returned." Well, that's kind of figurative, right? Nobody's coming flying in with a cape, but what is meant is that player who was hurt or injured somehow he mustered up the energy and he got back into the game, and all because of he's back in the game, they win. So it becomes literal. The figurative. That's, that's how um, I think that probably happened. I, I doubt anybody would have been thinking that this light was literal and that the source of this light was going to be what was going to restore joy throughout Israel. Let me, let me fast forward from Isaiah into Luke chapter 2 here. Um, Mary has, has already been told that she's going to be carrying Jesus. <laughs> she's going to be carrying the, the, the Son of God. And she had her moment of like, what, what is that? how's that going to work? And then you have Joseph who finds out that the gal that he's betrothed to be married to, like she's going to be pregnant. It's like, well, how's this going to work out? So he's had his moment of kind of, kind of freaking out a little bit. But then they come into submission under God's plan. They're both comforted by God and are ready to walk this thing out. And so that's already happened. That's gone down. But now we know the story. They've got to get to Bethlehem, don't they? They've they got to get out of Nazareth and they've got to get to Bethlehem. Well, why do they got to get to Bethlehem? Because this is not the place where the Savior of the world is supposed to be born. That, that's the problem. And so because of that, we read in Micah chapter 5 too, uh, God says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now, we read it on this side of history, and we know that this is pointing to the Savior. That this is telling us that this is where the Savior is going to be born. And so if the scripture is going to be fulfilled and Mary really is carrying the Son of God, she's got to hightail it out of Nazareth and she's got to get to Bethlehem before this baby is born. And you and I would say, well, great, that's easy, right? Just jump into the car and get there already, thinking from a first century perspective. But that's not how things worked back then. Um, travel wasn't easy. It wasn't safe to travel uh, that far, that, that distance. Um, and, and so you don't wake up in the morning and just think to yourself, you know what, today I want to go get a new pair of pants. Uh, or today I want to go get some new tools for the workshop and then just hop in and go 30 to 60 miles to the neighboring town because it's not in your local environment there. And, and then it, it just didn't happen like that. People didn't travel around the way that we travel right now. And so God was very creative in how he gets them out of Nazareth and into Bethlehem. He uses the Roman census. He uses the pagan senses to fulfill his promise. This is God working all of creation for his good, for his rescue plan. Um, you just peek around Luke chapter 2, around the first seven verses, and you find out um, what is going on in the world. This is world history that's taking place. 
But there is a worldwide census that's happening within the Roman Empire for all those who live under the power and the authority of Rome. They are to be registered and they are to be counted. Um, this is something that happened often every 14 years. Um, but Caesar Augustus, he declares that everybody under their rule, that they are going to be registered and counted so that they can be taxed and so that they can be entered into the military. So every 14 years, you get a count for the military. You get a count for tax purposes. And those who weren't Jewish... Um, they were added into the military, or they were counted for the military. And everybody uh, would have to give account for their name, for their occupation. You had to talk about all the things that you owned, everything that um, was a part of your family and a part of your household. You had to give account for that. And so that you might be taxed on that over the next 14 years. Everybody loves taxes, right? Everybody loves taxes and account. Like, for 14 years, they knew what they were going to be paying here. So everybody goes back to their town of their lineage in order to be counted or to be registered. Well, Joseph, he just so happens to be from the line of David, from the family of David, and so he's got to go back to Bethlehem, where his family was from. And what I want us to see here is that nothing in Scripture ever, ever, ever happens by accident. And I would say probably nothing even in the world is happening by accidents or by coincidence. There is God who is working behind the scenes, okay? What's happening here is that you have a pagan ruler not looking out for the Jewish interest at all. You have a pagan ruler who is calling people to go back home so that they can be counted for his ego, so that they can have more money, and so that he can say, this is how many people we run. This is how many people are under our thumb and that we control. But what God is doing, there's no coincidence that Mary is pregnant right now during this time. There's something much bigger that's happening than just taxes. Okay, So the sovereign God is working behind the scenes. When, when people are weary... When people are heavy, when they're worn out, and, and they have kind of just gone back to doing whatever they're doing, and when it feels like joy has kind of oozed out, he is working behind the scenes to bring people to this place of true and full joy. And this is happening on God's timetable. This is happening when he wants it to happen. So as humans, what ends up happening with us is don't we always want things to happen on, on our timetable? Like, don't we? Like, we, we want things to happen when we want them. Y'all with me? You awake? Okay. Like, okay. You guys are looking at me like, okay. Just want you to know what it feels like from this side. Um, <laughs> where are we at? Um, what are we talking about? Oh, as human beings, right? Uh, yeah. As human beings, sometimes we chase squirrels. That's what we do. Um, get sidetracked. Uh, we want things to happen on our timetable. Now, we'll flex, right? We'll, we'll, we'll bend. Um, we'll we'll um, sometimes get, give way to other people. But internally, don't we sometimes think, like, that's not the way I do it. Like, if, if you were on my time, like, if, we, if you were running at my pace, if you were doing it the way, like, it would work out so much better. We wouldn't say that out loud because most of us are nice people. But inside, we're like, this is totally not how I would do it. Just, just not how it would work, right? But here's what's happening. God's timetable is so much different than our timetable. And here's how the Apostle Paul says it in Galatians chapter 4. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Now what that means is at just the right time, whose time? At, at God's at just the right time. God sends his son. Well, why is this the right time? Well, uh, there's a Roman empire that's in control, and Romans were really good at building things. They were good at building 
cities. They were good at building roads, connecting city to city, town to town. They were good at export and import, getting things from one side of the ocean to the other side of the ocean. They were really good at that. So at just the right time, Jesus steps into this world so that the world might know who he is. How do they know? Because now they can travel from place to place. Word about Jesus can travel. Word about salvation can travel. Word about joy can travel. So at just the right time, when the world looks like it's falling apart, he steps into this on his timetable. Look at what Micah says again. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from, from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Because Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem, the place where the king and the savior is supposed to be born, right? That he's got to go back there. God is ordering this to happen through a Roman census. Mary doesn't have to go with him, but I think because Joseph is such a good dude, and like we don't get a whole lot of scripture about Joseph, but think about like Joseph steps into this. And he's a stepdad of the king of the world. Um, he's got to trust that what's going on with Mary is a true and honest thing. Mary is fully submitted to the Lord, and Joseph is fully submitted to God's plan also. And so they both head out from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And this is a 90-mile hike, man. 90 miles to get from one place to the other. Nine-ish nine months pregnant. Now, ladies, traveling 90 miles on a donkey or in a cart, being pulled by a donkey, does that feel good? No, it doesn't feel good. Men, does it feel good to see your wives in pain when they're pregnant? No. It just doesn't. So this is an uncomfortable situation for both of these guys. But they are fully submitted to what God is going to do here. And they are making their way to have the baby in Bethlehem. Caesar didn't know what he was doing. But God is sovereignly using him to bring about the prophecy of the Savior to be born in Bethlehem. God can and he will use anything for his purpose and for his glory. So here's how it goes down in Bethlehem. Um, Bethlehem really wasn't that big of a deal at the time. Now, for you and me, Bethlehem's a big deal, right? Because we know it as the city of David. This is where David was born. We know it. this is the place where Boaz and Ruth, where they meet, and like the family line of Jesus, like, like it keeps going. Um, it's a good story. Um, read that if you haven't read it. Boaz and Ruth are there. Uh, we, we know it as this is the birthplace of Jesus on this side of history, right? But at the time, Bethlehem, it, 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 like it really wasn't a big deal. Um, commentators say that this this town would have been like 300 to 1,000 a, a people might have been living there at the time. Now, think about that. Now, Ashland is, is not like a metropolitan area, but it's certainly bigger than what Bethlehem was. 300 to 1,000 uh, a people, smaller than our town. The town that I grew up in was a little bit like this. Um, we, we didn't have a stoplight where, where I grew up. Anybody grow up in no stoplight town? Yeah. Like, you just wait, like, uh, you can go across, like, I'll wait for you, and you just, people talk and wave at each other and that kind of thing. Um, the town that I grew up in, like, we had nothing. When I was in high school, um, there was word that a Walmart was coming. And that changed. Like, we talked about that forever. And then Walmart landed. And we're like, holy cow, our world has been expanded. But that's what put us on the map where I'm from. That, that was the biggest thing uh, going on. Nothing happened in my small town except for Walmart coming. You get up. You get dressed. You go to school, maybe you go to work, 
You come home, you eat, you go to bed, and then you get up in the morning and you do the same thing all over again. It was routine, mundane, over and over. In a small town, you're not really expecting anything huge to happen. Just definitely not. That's Bethlehem. 300 people to 1,000 people. Everybody knows everybody. Um, and if you, if you walk into town from out of town, everybody knows that you're from out of town, right? Like, and if you travel to where I'm from, it's Appalachia area. And, and I don't know if you know anything about Appalachia area. We don't really trust anybody, okay, that, that's from out of town. And so you roll in, and if your license plate doesn't look like everybody else, like, who's this? Why, why are they here? And, and, they start seeing, and then you start seeing people step out to the side or step out to their porch and sit down on the porch, and they may or may not have a shotgun. Like, that's just how we roll in the Appalachian area. Like, it, you know people who are from out, y'all are looking at it like, I wasn't doing that. Like, <laughs> chill out, all right? In Bethlehem, if somebody was coming in from out of town like you knew it, especially if family members are coming back from out of town, so you got Joseph who's coming back to the place where all of his family uh, originated uh, from. But if you go back there, um, in these small towns, and if you were to ask people in Bethlehem, you'd be like, are you, are you guys tired? Are you, you guys worn out? They'd be like, yeah, we're tired. We're doing the same thing every single day. If a reporter of the Bethlehem Times came to you and asked you, are you a believer in God? Are you waiting for his return? Are you expecting that, that that's going to happen sometime soon? You'd probably, you know, give the party line and you'd say, yes, like, like I, of course, of course I do. Um, like, like, yes, I want it to happen. I believe it's going to happen. I read about it in second grade when we were going to Torah class. We did that. My grandparents believed it. My great-grandparents believed it. My parents believed it. And because of all that, it's been passed down to me, just kind of in our, our family, you know. Um, they believed it. They taught it to us. But like, am I expecting that to happen right now? <laughs> probably not. Like, I'm just kind of doing my life. It's been so long since those prophecies were spoken. It's been so long since we heard of God. Like, I'm just kind of, yeah, we, like we believe, but we're just going about business. Guys, it had been 400 years since the people had heard a prophetic word from God. Nobody was expecting that the promised Savior is coming on this night in this insignificant little town of Bethlehem in this way that he's getting ready to come in. But listen, okay, when you think nothing is happening in your life, God is working behind the scenes. He's doing some things in ways that you and I just totally can't. We, we just don't. Like, we can hope, we can see, like, I, but at, we don't know what he's doing. We want him to do some things, but maybe he is, maybe he's not in our mind. But he is working behind the scenes, doing things that we can't understand. And when we're going through the motions, and you feel like maybe hope is gone, or joy is gone, or it's slipping out, or when you're feeling weary, you're feeling like you're ready to give up. It's all kind of gone to the back burner right now because you know in your mind, like, maybe he's coming, but I just don't know if it's going to happen. God loves to show up in those moments. You feel like throwing in the towel and giving up. God loves to show off in those moments. I can't tell you how many times he's shown up when, when like, I'm in pain right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't shown up in other places. That allows me to continue to be faithful now. Um, and moments where I'm just dragging and be like, okay, he's still good. I know he's still good. And some of y'all are holding on to the moments of past faithfulness. That's good because those moments give you courage to stand now and to keep having hope and joy now, okay? Um, God loves to show up in these places. And so I just want to talk real quick. There are two locations here in Bethlehem. There are, there's like downtown Bethlehem, right, where uh, um, Mary and Joseph, they found the place for Jesus to be born. 
Um, so they've found this place, the, the whole story, you know, the kids in the Bethlehem, there's no place in the inn, and they find a place, and so they're having baby Jesus. And scripture tells us they, they swaddle him in, in swaddling cloths, and they are loving him, and her heart is full, and um, it's just a, an amazing thing that's happening here. The birth of the Savior, downtown Bethlehem. Then outside of the city, or outside of the main town, in the fields of Bethlehem, there, there's really nobody out there except for some shepherds who are tending their sheep by night, is what Luke tells us. Um, kind of hanging out with the sheep. And uh, I'm going to talk about the shepherds real quick, and then we'll close. If anybody knew what it was like to maybe be weary, to be tired, hoping things that might get a little bit better, it was probably these guys. It was probably the shepherds. These guys weren't known to be the stand-up men of the town. Now, we're going on commentaries to tell us this, okay? There were probably some good shepherds out there. But the stereotype of the shepherd, like these weren't the stand-up men of the town. They weren't the city council leaders. They weren't the leaders of the PTO. Um, they were the runs who carried a rap sheet along with them. They'd been places. They'd seen things. They'd done, they'd done things that um, you and I may not do. Um, they spent a lot of their time outside of the city, um, out in the fields because they weren't allowed in town. Um, they were considered to be filthy, unclean. And they certainly weren't able to go to the synagogue to worship. They couldn't go to the temple to worship God. They just they weren't allowed to do it. And so they were considered outcasts. Um, they weren't welcomed into normal society. Now, this, this is second service of about, about a crowd this size in the first service too. And, and I'm guessing that in either of these services um, that there's probably some people in here who could, who could relate, that you might feel a little bit of the same. Maybe you just don't fit. You feel like, man, I don't, I don't fit in any circle. There's a lot of circles, but I just don't see one that I fit in. And I've tried, but maybe I feel a little bit obtruse. You know, like, I, 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 don't, I don't get to fit in. Uh, maybe somebody has told you or you know yourself that you rub people the wrong way. Um, maybe a few bad choices in, in your life. Say some things that other people wouldn't say. And, and so for whatever choices that, that you've made um, or the things that you feel, like you carry a bit of a rap sheet with you. And so wherever you go, that kind of precedes you. And you, don't want, you don't want it to, but it does. And you become known for, for that thing. Um, and so you know what that's like. Um, you probably get it. You probably understand. And, and that's where, where the shepherds were. That, that's the life that they lived. And in the middle of all that, here, here's what Scripture says happens. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. And in the same region... So this is outside of Bethlehem now. So you got downtown Bethlehem. This is where Jesus was born. And now outside of that, outside of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great... <laughs> Can we try that one more time? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great... Yes. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Guys, nobody, nobody, nobody was expecting this that night. 
No one expected this spectacle. The least likely spot for something amazing to happen was right here in Bethlehem, this little town. It's the least like amongst the least likely people to hear it. Joy was being found in Bethlehem. They were, they, these guys who were on the outcast were hearing that the birth of the Savior had happened. The first ones to hear it. And they get to go and see the good news that's taken place. And then, holy cow, you've got angels who are all over the place scaring these guys to death, falling down on the ground. And they're like, fear not. Like, okay, I hear you, but I'm still freaking out right now. But these are the first guys who get, like, the most unlikely place on earth that the Savior feels like he would have shown up. At the most unlikely time with the most unlikely people, yet that's how God does it. He's working behind the scenes, doing amazing things that we can't really understand. There was joy being found in Bethlehem. Pitch black night. No light pollution, maybe some stars in the sky. No electricity in these homes. No nearby towns lighting up the sky. Just quiet and dark. And then the sky explodes, full of light. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in that scenario? I mean, I like to think that I'm brave, but I've, I'd have been on my face in that moment as well. These guys find joy in Bethlehem. Now, you might be in a tight spot, right? But I, the black cloud or the blackness behind you might be the thing where God just wants to use that so that you might be able to experience his joy in a very real way. We've used this scenario, or we used this illustration before, diamonds on a black velvet. Why do jewelers put diamonds on black velvet instead of white? You put it on black velvet because it pops the beauty of the jewel. And, and I think that maybe when it comes to our joy, the blackness of the thing that we're walking through or that um, stereotype that we carry or the depression that we feel like we're walking for, that discouragement that we're in, all of these things, like I, I think like that is there so that the joy of the Lord might pop in full. Now, he's doing some things that you can't see and that I can't see. And there's joy to be found um, when we least expect it, in places where we least expect it. Because Jesus came for people like you and me, messed up people. I said it. You messed up. I, I, I'm messed up. That's why we needed a Savior. It, it wasn't long till after Jesus um, was born before he was going to be saying words like these, I didn't come for those who were well, but I came for the sick ones. I came for those who were messed up. I came for the weary ones. I came from the ones who were walking around with a cloud over their heads. I come for those who feel like they got it all figured out. I came for the messed up ones. Um, I came for the ones who feel like their joy is fading. That's who he came for. He came for you. He came for you and me to give us joy, to give us salvation. 400 years of waiting and losing hope. And then verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. The joy of Jesus is for all of those who are weary, for all of those who are tired, for all of those who are wondering, is joy just as, like, I've been seeping it out, it feels like, but can I ever be made full again? Yeah, yeah, because joy, it doesn't ride the roller coaster. Joy is there. Joy is found in Jesus. And if you had Jesus, you have joy. You, you just got to realize he's working in ways that you can't see. So are you weary? Jesus gives you joy. Are you tired of waiting? 
Jesus gives you joy. He also gives you patience, but he gives you joy. Are you skeptical that anything good is ever going to happen in your life again? Are you skeptical that even Jesus is ever going to come? He, he gives you hope. He gives you joy. Jesus gives you joy. That doesn't end. You know, um, Billy Graham said, it, it, it doesn't ride the wave. Um, and then he said, but at the same time, there, I've got moments of discouragement. Joy stays steady through all of those things. And so even if you're depleted right now and, you're, and, and you know Jesus, you have joy. You've got to let him dust it off and bring it back out. Um, scripture tells us that the surroundings of Jesus' birth were not ideal, right? I mean, he came in, in squander, in humility, basically, left heaven to sit in a manger, to lie in a manger. I read somewhere this week that uh, um, that manger, that whatever he was in, um, that was the first king-size bed, uh, you know, that little thing. Um, and it's true, isn't it? Like, it, it was. Um, but at the same time, he came in in utter humility. Nothing in the form of flesh to give in that moment. But yet, this was going to be the Savior who was going to lay it down on the cross so that we might be able to have life with him eternally. And so there's going to be a day. There's going to be a second advent. That's the one that we're waiting on right now. That's why we can have hope and that we can have joy. Our situation might just stink. just stinks. But yet, it doesn't have to drag us down because we know that there is joy to be found. There's hope to be found because he's coming again. So the second advent, we're, 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 we're waiting on. Um, and I was just saying something. I have my hand out here for a reason. I forget why I had it out there. There was something in this hand, uh, mentally. Um, uh, oh, yeah. He, he was coming in humility. He came in humility. But there's a day that he's going to come back, and he's going to come back in glory. And that's what we're waiting on. That's what we're waiting on. So um, if you just feel like, man, it, it's, joy is gone. It's not. It's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. So um, would you pray with me? And let's just ask that, God, in this season of, of our lives, or in this season of your life, or in this part of, of the Christmas season, um, love, peace, and joy, right? Like, we want God to just really develop joy inside of us. And so, would you pray that he would do that right now? Lord Jesus, uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much that, um, that we get to open up your word and not take ourselves seriously, but take you seriously and your word seriously. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus. Thank you that you had a plan that we, we never could have put this plan together, but you did. Um, and you were willing to send Jesus, your, your son, part of the Trinity, part of holiness, um, that he might give up his fleshly life on the cross to give us hope and joy and life. And so this king of peace, this one who has shown us what love looks like, this one who just radiated joy so that we might have joy, I pray that we would enter into that, that we would walk into that, that we would trust, God, that you're doing things that we can't see. We don't want to be grumpy. We don't want to be a black cloud, but we want your joy to radiate through us. And so whatever you need to do in us to get that out, do it, Lord. Polish us up. Do what you got to do. Um, for, for my friends in the room who don't yet know Jesus, I pray, Father, that they would, they would give their lives to you, that they would lay their lives down. For, for The way that you laid your life down on the cross, Father, I pray that they would bend to their knee at the cross and accept Jesus and so that they might have joy and that this Christmas might be different than any other Christmas that they've experienced in their life because they got to experience the joy of Jesus and to enter into his family. For those of us who are seeping joy, who have, who have been walking with Christ, I pray, Father, that we would just realize that it's not something that we lose. 
um, but it's something sometimes that we forget. And so I pray that you would remind us of the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of, of what he's done for us, and that we might wait in patient expectation for his glorious return. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.